And then as we see what the Word of God says, and we hold ourselves up to the mirror of God's Word, let's be prayerfully looking for areas that we can change in our lives that do not line up with our Lord's teaching here. It's really as simple as that. Let's pray. Father, we commit this time to you for your glory. Lord, show us your word, your truth. Please move aside all distractions, Lord. And as we see your truth, Lord, may we be conformed more and more into the image of your son, to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's read the verse. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says, therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. Now, this is point number one in your outline, the rule. And what Jesus is saying here, what does he say? He said, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. And then he says this, because or for, this is the law and the prophets. He, he sums it up. He begins with his word, therefore. And what Jesus is doing is he is summing up much of what he's taught already in the Sermon on the Mount. This verse marks the end of a device that is used, a grammatical device that is used in various points in the Bible. It's called an inclusio, okay, inclusio. And an inclusio, if you want to think of it, is like this. It's like bookends to a thought, okay? It begins with a statement and it ends with a statement and everything is, is inclusio, included within that. And the inclusio here is between Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 and our verse that we're looking at today. Now, if, I hope you'll remember. If not, go ahead and turn back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And, and you'll see here that Jesus talks of the fact that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. Uh, he, he didn't come to do that, but instead he was going to do more than that. He was going to fulfill them. And that not even the tiniest part of, these would be, would, of it would pass away until everything is accomplished. Let me read those verses to you. So he says, do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to what? Fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until everything is accomplished. Whoever then annuls the least of these commands and so teaches others shall be called the least in the kingdom of God. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of God. For I say to you, and here's your key, it's all about righteousness. That's really the issue here in the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? That unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he, he, he hits this idea about the law and the prophets, and then he goes through a, a series of teachings that we'll look at in a little bit more detail, and he comes back in our verse and he says, listen, what I'm talking about here, the way you treat others, if you treat them the way you would like to be treated, that is really a fulfillment of the law and the prophets when it's biblically done. This little rule sums it up. And this little device, this linguistic device called an inclusio that basically forms a bracket around this section, the section there then shows the way of the kingdom of God that fulfills the law and the prophets. So there's a sense where Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 is really the Sermon on the Mount in a nutshell. Now Jesus is beginning here in our verse the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And this statement sums up the main body of the Sermon on the Mount. If, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. And what we've looked at from Matthew chapter 5, or what we would have looked at from Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, as he preached through this, is a description of that. How does the golden rule play out in interpersonal relationships? He dealt with that in detail in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through the end of the chapter in verse 48. 
He made statements like this. Well, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, right? That's a negative statement. Don't murder. But then he says it's much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. If you're just making up a list of things I don't do, you've missed the boat because it's in everything. He says, but I say to you that even if you look at your brother with hate, you've committed a murder already in your heart. It's more than that. It's more than just the physical act of murder, but it is an attitude of murder that is within the heart. If you have a problem then, he goes on to say, be proactive and get reconciled. That's the teaching of scripture, right? That's the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not only not commit adultery, but don't even look on a woman to lust for her. Positive statement. And even further than that, if something causes you to sin in that way, be proactive, nip it in the bud. Cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, that kind of thing. He's not talking literally, if you remember the context there, but what he's talking about is whatever's getting in the way, you need to get rid of that because there's nothing that you don't want anything in your way that's gonna inhibit you from following what, walking how Christ wants you to walk. Are you tracking with me so far? He says you don't treat your spouse with contempt and divorce her. You don't lie and make false vows. Instead, you're to have a yes that means yes and a no that means no. You don't seek revenge. In fact, that's God's business. You don't just love those who love you. Either further than that, you love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. You see the difference of what he's been lining out for us and what is fulfilling the law and the prophets? How does the golden uh, rule apply to my personal integrity and priorities? Well, he answers that in the next chapter, chapter six, verses one through 34. He says, don't deceive others and live in pride and hypocrisy, but instead, folks, live in integrity. And he went on to give us examples of even how our religion can play out in a way that's so self-centered, right? How do you pray? What's that to look like? How do you give? What is that to look like? How do you fast? He talked about for giving others in very, very strong terms saying that if you won't forgive, then you're not even truly forgiven. He talked about how we're to use our treasures. And all the focus was not on self, but on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So at the end of chapter six, what does he say? Seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the rest of the things will fall into place. That's my translation, right? All these things will be added to you. Even in, as he in, ventures into chapter 7, he addresses how the golden rule applies to dealing with brothers in verses 1 through 11. That if I really love my brother, right? If I really want what I should want for me, that is to have the most awesome and close personal relationship with God that I can, and I want that for my brother too, right? Then I will help him in regards to his sin. I will deal with myself and my sin first so that I can go without hypocrisy and love to help out my brother. Then if I truly care, I will absolutely go to my brother. So when we come here to chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus sums up that teaching, but he goes further than that, and he makes an even more inclusive statement. You see, our tendency, tell me if this is true in your life and in your background, our tendency is to take these little sayings, don't murder, don't look, you know, whatever, and make a list of rules, right, that we can check off. Didn't do that one. I'm good on that one. Gave like that. Prayed like that. You see what I'm saying? And it'd be real easy to do that if Jesus skipped this verse. 
But in this verse, he changes the whole thing. Jesus preempts that by making a general rule that not only includes those things and anything else that wasn't specifically dealt with in Matthew 5, 21 through 7, 11. And he says it's more than that. He says, however, you want people to treat you, so treat them for this. And its inclusiveness is the law and the prophets. Now notice something here about the golden rule. It's written in the positive form, okay? Don't miss this. It's not phrased in the negative form which is do not treat others in a way you don't want to be treated. That's very different, okay? That's often the way you hear it said. Don't do unto people the way you, know, you don't want to be treated. Confucius wrote it that way. He said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Uh, the Jewish rabbi Hallel said the same thing. He said, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to someone else. The Greek philosopher Pectatus said, what you avoid suffering yourself, do not do to others. The Stoics would say, whatever you do not want to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. This is man's teaching, right? And it's kind of a minor tweak, a minor perversion of it. What Jesus does here is, a much, is much bigger than just that negative statement. You see, the negative statement is limited to omitting certain acts, right? I mean, if I don't want to be robbed, what do I need to do according to the Stoics and according to Hillel and those guys? What? Tell me, go ahead, what? Don't rob somebody, right? I mean, if I don't want to be hated, what should I do to somebody else? Don't hate them. If I don't want to have somebody stick a pencil in my nostril, what should I not do? Yeah, right, don't stick pencils in people's nostrils. Generally, a good rule of thumb. The positive statement, though, not only prohibits behavior like that, but it teaches then right behavior. And doesn't that fit with the way this, all the totality of Scripture is, how we're told to put off and to put on, to have our minds renewed, to see the whole thing change, not just a matter of, well, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm not going to be that bad guy. I'm going to be a good moral guy in my, my life. No, no, no. Scripture from front to back is teaching this. Hey, you're depraved. You have a, a, a polluted image of God right now since the fall. In fact, you're so polluted that there is absolutely no way that you or anybody else who's ever been born on this planet could fix that. You following me? It can't be done. It can't be good enough. If you've sinned once, how many of you have, go ahead, I want you to raise your hands on this. How many of you have sinned once or more in your life? Once or more, just once or more. Wow, that's almost, you haven't? No, there you go. <laughs> I was about to say, you just lied, so. <laughs> no, no, that's an easy one, right? We've all sinned, right? The Bible says that, right? You all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's simple. If we say we haven't sinned, what? We're a liar. The truth of God's not even in us. The reality is, we are, we are uh, apart from Christ, we are lost in our transgressions. We are, we are a slave to unrighteousness, the Bible says. And that there's really no way that can be fixed, is there? Apart from the perfect Lamb of God coming into the equation, right? Providing the perfect sacrifice so that if we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? He will make us into new creatures. Old things pass away, folks. Behold, all things become new. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful truth of Scripture? That, that it's not just a hopeless thing where God says, well, oh, Adam and Eve... Yeah, I had such hope for you and mankind. There's so, much, there's so much awesome stuff we were going to do together. 
But you know what? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. And you're lost without hope. No, no. He says, you know, I know you can't save yourself. The, the, the sad part is you don't know that, right? So let me give you some rules. I'll give you just 10 commandments. How about that? We'll start with 10. Let's see how you do. Can you keep them, right? In other words, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. How about that one? Ever had a time where you did what you wanted rather than what God wanted? Boom. What? Well, we all failed right there, right? Honor your father and mother. Yeah, we all failed. Yeah, we fell, 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 fell. Okay, the rules thing didn't work, right? We can't build a bridge that way. I can't do it on my good works. What do I need? I need somebody else to intervene, somebody else to come and pay the penalty of my sin so that I might be reconciled to my Father who is in heaven. And that's what Jesus came to do. We know that, right? That's what the cross is all about. The cross is not a decoration merely for the church or something that we look back on and go, isn't that sad he died on a cross? No, 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 it's not that at all. See, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, it is the combination of the, the harshest, most vulgar display of hatred that we've ever seen, but co-mingled with that, we see the most beautiful picture of love that could ever be seen. Think about that. That God, it pleased God to smite Christ on the cross for my transgressions, but he was doing it because he loved me so much that he wanted to reconcile me. That ought to get you excited. That, that apart from what he did on the cross and apart from God accepting that sacrifice, resurrecting him from the dead, sending him back up into heaven where he intercedes for us on, on our behalf now and he sent his comforter to work us through this time we call the church age, right? He's done all of this so that we can be reconciled to him, so that we can be usable to him, so that we can be ambassadors to Christ, and so we might have an eternity in heaven and bring him glory. Is that cool or what? The qualities that we're talking about here on the Sermon on the Mount, that he, he's summing up, he's saying, if you really want to fulfill what that law was all about, if you really want to behave like what the prophets were talking about and pointing to and all that kind of stuff, it is this. You are to love one another. You are to treat one another the way that you, if you had a fully biblical theology, would want to be treated. The positive statement not only prohibits behavior, but it says it encourages the right behavior. Hey, do you like being loved? <laughs> Come on, right? Then love somebody else, right? If you uh, want to be, you like being encouraged, encourage somebody else. Do you like when people call you, visit you, things like that? Well, be about that kind of business, right? And we'll develop that a little bit more in a, in a minute. But I hope you see the difference here, okay? And the negative, you could withdraw from the world and fulfill that. I'm not robbing anybody. I'm not sticking pencils in their nostrils, right? I'm not offending anybody. But you know what? I'm not doing anybody any good either. The positive, when you're proactive, you're multiplying those godly qualities. We're seeking to love, encourage, help, strength, promote peace, kindness, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit, Right? Those are the qualities that I am to be actively multiplying towards others. Now, the verse here doesn't just speak of the qualities, but it speaks about the quantity of those good things that I'm to do. But it's unfortunate that it's hard to see in the NASB that I read from. I read from the old one. Uh, the updated one will, will make it more clear and show you what the Greek has to say there. 
NIV does this as well. It says, the first word in the Greek, because it's emphasis, okay, is pantas. It means in everything or all, okay? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. In everything, and that's the phrase I want you to catch there. In all aspects of life, whether people are nice to you or they're not nice to you, treat them the way that you would want to be treated. Whether people deserve it or they don't deserve it, treat them the way that you would want to be treated. Whether anybody is watching or not to see if you're doing it, still treat people the right way, the way that you'd like to be treated rather than the opposite. Treat people the way you want them to treat you. Now, word of warning here, okay? This does not mean if I would like somebody to lie for me to get me a job, that I should be willing to lie for them, right? Sometimes we're polluted with our, remember that natural self? We're putting off, but we still got the old man we're fighting against. He's still got remnants in there that are causing a little grief from time to time. If you're not careful, you can start to interpret things in the wrong way. If I don't want people to talk to me when I sin, let me ask you a question. When you found yourself in any kind of sin, especially if it's a habitual sin, do you really want somebody coming to you in your heart of hearts? I mean, I'm talking about what the Spirit tells you. I'm just talking about the way you feel, right? Most people are going, I don't really want, I'm going to avoid that. That's why people stop coming to church. That's why they move to the back and then they move out, you know, all that kind of stuff. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, and if I was walking, if I'm not, if I'm stuck in a habitual sin, if I was walking the way I should, I would want people to do that for me, Right? I mean, is sin dangerous? The wages of sin is what? Death. The way of the transgressor is what? Hard. I don't see that when I'm seeking after my own personal pleasures, do I? You don't either. So what needs to happen, you know? I, I still need uh, the people to respond biblically in those cases. Those, obviously, if I were to lie to help you to get a job or not talk to you about your sin, if I knew about it and things like that, without properly preparing myself as we talked about earlier then those, those kind of things, if I were to not do that, 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 those responses and desires are unbiblical. And we must remember that the statement of Christ in the context of the character of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount here, which is, says God's priorities are my priorities, and that way I want to treat him according with his priorities, not what my own personal desires are. Why do you think the psalmist can write, you know, <clears throat> commit your way to the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart? Why can those kind of things be said? What's the desire of your heart? Well, if you're walking in the flesh, even as a believer, you could have some wrong desires of the heart. Do you agree with that? I mean, my desire in my heart could be, I want to retire when I'm, I'm 53. When I'm 54. That may be a good desire for somebody, I don't know. Maybe you're retired and I'm not coming after you. But in my own case, I know that's not what God has for me, right? So I may have a desire that's not what his plan is for me, right? So if I commit my way to him and I don't retire at 54, did he lie? No. But what happens as you commit your path to the Lord, as you follow him, as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things are added to you, what's happening? Your desires are changing. I'm no longer concerned with the fact that I get me a, a Rolls Royce and a Bentley or something like that, but I'm concerned with his, what he values, and that is the souls of others, the furtherance of the gospel. You see? What it means is I would deal with my issues in the same way that the word of God would have me to deal with my issues and nothing less. 
That's the way. That's what the golden rule is talking about. And one of the great places to start there, you say, okay, what does that look like? A great place to start that is you've got, you know, an app on your phone or you've got a Bible software or whatever. You can do it on the internet too. Just Google, you know, the one another's of scripture or something. You know, do a search in your Bible for that. Start with those. You find all kinds of things there that are exactly what Matthew 7, 12 is talking about. Let me give you a few examples. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, love one another. Start with that. Love one another like you would like to be loved. What does that mean? Boy, go to 1 John, you see it play out in the flesh, don't you? 1 John 3, 16, 17. So if I, have the, if I have the means and I see my brother in need but don't do anything for him, how does the love of God abide in me, right? What does this look like? True love, biblical love. Be at peace with one another. Mark chapter nine, verse 50. That means I'm not sitting here going, marking out my territory left and right and looking for a war, anybody who crosses my line, but I'm seeking to reconcile. Who, who am I modeling when I do that? Christ, right? God the Father who sent Christ so that we can be reconciled to him. How about give preference to one another? Wow, that'll change the world, won't it? Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another, same verse. Don't condemn one another, build up one another, accept one another. <laughs> Look at our world around us, everybody's fighting, right? Blue lives matter, black lives matter, white lives, what? All, you, accept one another, love one another biblically, and we don't have those issues, right? Admonish one another. Ooh. Romans 15, 14, don't sue one another. 1 Corinthians 6, 7, be unified and care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, serve one another. Most churches are characterized by 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Serve one another. Galatians 5.13, be patient with one another. Can we mark that one off? I don't like that one particularly. No, we can't. Ephesians 4.2, be kind to one another. Ephesians 4.32, regard one another. Check this out, Philippians 2, 3, and, 2, 3, and 4. Regard one another as more important than who? Yourself. If I'm gonna treat you the way I want to be treated, that means I treat you in such a way that I care more about how you're being treated and really than even how I'm being treated. Think about that for a minute. What does that do to me and my stuff? What does that do to me and my clock, my time, my schedules? What does it do to all the things that are on my wish list when they might be interfered with by somebody else with a need? By the way, that's not interfering with. That's a poor choice of words there. That's an opportunity for God to let you show the love of Christ to somebody else. How can I call that interference? Don't lie to one another. Colossians 3.9, you read it earlier. Bear with one another. Colossians 3.13, read that earlier. Comfort one another, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Seek what's good for one another, 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Encourage one another, Hebrews 3.13. Stimulate, stimulate one another to love and good deeds, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Don't complain to or about other people, James 5. Be hospitable to each other, 1 Peter 4. Be humble toward one another, 1 Peter 5. Have fellowship with one another, 1 John 1. Is that enough? <laughs> I mean, right there, I mean, I've got a lifetime of work, and I, that's, I haven't touched the, 
my toe into the depth of the one another's of Scripture. And even that list, my friends, is not exhausted because it goes bigger than that. Like Jesus says, the way you want to be treated, treat others. That's everything. Inclusive. By the way, this is costly to do, isn't it? True or false? It's very costly. I mean, the reason here is to not get something back. Do it so that you get something back. No, that's not the reason. The reason here is you're fulfilling the law and the prophets. What you're doing, in effect, is is you're living out the heart of God. There's nothing wrong with the law and the prophets. You understand that. And you also understand that we can't keep those in and of ourselves, right? But even just by the mere fact that we can't perfectly keep them doesn't mean it's not a beautiful thing when we are lined up with them and mirroring their truth. Amen? It's costly. It can be costly on a personal level. One gentleman wrote, he said, remember that practicing the golden rule means paying a price. If we want God's best for ourselves and others, but others resist God's will, then they will oppose us. We are salt, and salt stings the open wound. We are light, and light exposes dirt. That's the rule. That's how we're to live. That's God's party expressly pra- expressed practically in real life through us. So what's the application of this? What's the absolutely best thing you can do to reflect God to another person in any given situation? That's, what you, that's, what, that's the question you're asking, right? In this situation, I find myself in with this person, be they kind to me, be they harsh to me, whatever's going on, this person I work next to, it's a neighbor, it's a child, it's a parent, what's the best way that I can express and reflect God to this person today? We often get upset if we don't get things our way, don't we? If things don't happen the way we, we want them, we get just our feathers ruffled. How would the application of the golden rule affect our attitudes and our actions in those situations when we don't get our way? Sometimes we're lonely and we've got the poor me's, right? And we need to ask ourselves, why are we so downcast? Nobody visits me, nobody remembers my birthday. I didn't get invited to the party. How does the golden rule change that reaction? Instead of complaining about the fact that nobody seems to care about you, care about them, right? Instead of complaining about the fact that nobody calls or nobody writes, call them, write them, be the initiator. You're feeling left out? There's a lot of people feeling left out. Reach out, show the love of Christ to others. You know how many friends? Well, be a friend. That's the starting spot. Also, if I'm seeking the best for another, I can't be quiet about something that's going to hurt them. Sin. Isn't that what the near context of this verse is anyway? If I love them, I'll attempt to help them. That's what he's talking about. He says, hey, if you see your brother in sin, you've got to go to him. Now, check it out. You, get, you can do a little self-evaluation here. Make sure the log's out of your eye before you go work on the, the little piece of sawdust in his eye. Right? But deal with that and then go help them. I mean, because... That's the thing. Like I said earlier, some people, they're like, well, I don't want to be bothered when I'm in my sin. That's not what I want. So if you're going to treat me how I want to be treated, that, you know, just ignore it. It'll go away. Let God work on me. No, you, you, you misjudge the danger of sin. 
I mean, the reality is, if we were to walk outside here after the service today and cut across, head into the train or the restaurants across the way there, and one of you started to walk across the street and there's a, a bus barreling down the street about to hit you, what should be our response? You know? Well, we sure will miss Jane. She's walking out in front of the bus. Well, she didn't really want to be interrupted in it, you know? She was trying to get over to Spaghetti Warehouse. No, 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 no. What do you do if you saw that your child was walking across there? You say, oh, stop, run, pull, whatever, you know. You go into the fray and you try to pull them out of the fray, right? And, and you know, if you went over there to so say you were cutting across there and I decided, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you and God bless you, son, if you're waiting on me to run to chase you down from the bus, but we'll pretend, okay? I'm running across the street and I tackle you into the other side, or let's make Pastor John do it because he did that for a while in college. He tackles you and you land smack dab on the, 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 the sidewalk on the other side, your face is cut and all this kind of stuff. You might be tempted to get, get up, look at Pastor John and say, I like your brother with the hair better than I like you, right? But this, would that be the proper response? Once you looked around, you go, wait a minute, I got a scrape on my face. Oh, thank you so much for saving my life, for pulling me out of that dangerous situation. See, we look at sin like it's, oh, they got my order wrong at Chili's. I hate it when that happens, right? But sin is black and dirty. It's a beast. It's deadly. Yeah, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that. But it can pull you out of the game. You're no longer an effective ambassador for Christ. Is that a big deal? Oh, it's a big deal. It's a way big deal. So even in those kind of situations, we jump in in love with care, not even worry about our own risk so that we can help and minister, disciple, discipline, and do what is best for them and remind ourselves that's what we should want for ourselves, what's best for us too, the same way. In everything, therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them for this is the law and the prophets. That's God's charge to us. That's a rule. If that's God's charge, why don't we carry it out? Well, there's a resistance, right? You could point, call that point two in your outline, the resistance. Uh, mankind has, for centuries, praised this teaching, right? Oh, the golden rule, the golden rule. It's great, the golden rule. But few actually even try to even walk it, you know, or, or seek to live it. And that nobody, it seems hardly anybody, even within the church, wants to try to implement it. The golden rule, folks, was meant to be practiced, not praised. Why don't we keep it? Why don't men keep it? Why don't they live in their lives? Why are there so many troubles between people? Why all the quarreling and grudges and jealousy and backbiting? And of course, the answer is brief and simple as well, right? Man is self-centered. <laughs> so man seeks after self, not after others. This is contra, uh, it's just the opposite of what you would do naturally. Treat others the way you want to be treated? No, no, no. The one with the most toys wins. That's the way out. Many are only concerned for number one. If I don't get my way, look out. Too many people are selfish rather than selfless. And because man is sinful, he fights it. Oh, we love this rule as it applies to others, right? If everybody was doing that, even then I'm not, oh man. Cha-ching, cash money, right? Life is good. I get everything. Everybody's good to me. But the minute it's applied to ourselves, people can 
dislike it or even resent it. A man is sinful, a man is selfish. The Lord said it this way, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the one thing we do not do or do not want to do because we love self so much in the wrong way. It comes down to a belief that I'm entitled to more, (laughs) more than the next guy. Of course, you realize that can't be reconciled, right? If I have more, what's the logical precept? What has to happen for me to have more? Somebody else has to have what? What? Less. And if he has more and I have to have less, guess what? The battle's beginning if we're left in our fleshy mindset. You know, I, I feel blessed in my life. I, I'm a blessed man. I, I think I've been on the receiving side of the golden rule many more times than I've been on the giving side of it. Uh, churches have been so good to me along the way. This one included uh, tangible things, words of encouragement. Just even coming in here this morning, I had many of you come up to just encourage me with this or that or tell me something God's doing in your life and how he's using the word. And, you know, I, I've, I, I have no doubt I've received more than I've given. And, uh, but the charge here, you know, too, is uh, towards all men, right? In other words, not just your pastor. You ought to be like this towards your pastor and towards those who've done something that's encouraging in some way, but not just them, to everybody, right? Not just your own friends, your best friends, but to others, too. Not just your own family, but to others, too. You understand what I'm saying? That's the way this is meant to be applied. And, and we really, in order to accomplish that, folks, we have to die to self, don't we? There's really no other way. Self has to be dead for that to be carried out. Number one, you know, we gotta, we got to get on the right route, and that's just the last point on the outline. How can it really be implemented? How, how can my attitude, my action, conform to the Lord's teaching here? Number one, it has to start, obviously, with God, right? What's the greatest commandment? Anybody remember? You shall love who? The Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It has to start there. And that's why that's the first and greatest commandment. I love him first and foremost in order to do that, to be vulnerable, which is what the golden rule calls for, right? And trust him to care for me. I have to trust him. And say, listen, you called me to do this. I'm just going to trust that you're, you're doing it's best. If I'm, if I'm doing without... I'm going to trust you and be content with without. And if I have plenty, I'm going to trust you and rejoice and be thankful for that as well. It starts with that first and greatest commandment. We turn from quarreling when we put God first and disputing and selfishness and we look square at his face and we see him for who he is and what he has done and we must be humbled. He alone is worthy to be praised. He alone is worthy of honor. How can we talk about what we deserve when we talk about the gospel that we just talked about already this morning, right? What do you deserve? What do I deserve? Left to my own devices, what do I deserve? Eternal punishment. Hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth, all that kind of stuff. Not pretty, right? That's what I deserve. So if, if I start thinking in an earthly sense, well, I deserve to have a better, than that, better this than that guy or better that than that guy. I've worked harder or I've studied longer. I've got more degrees after my name or 
I've got better family, leaves me stuff, whatever the things are, right? I mean, we got to get rid of that mindset, right? And we got to look back to the cross and say, you know what I deserved? I deserved to die there instead of live here with all this blessing. And in light of that, because of what he's done and he did it for them, how can I best model him? That is to look outside of myself and to show care to those others that he cares for, whether I see them personally as redeeming in quality or not. (laughs) Whether I get excited about them because they've been nice to me or not whether I'm great with them because I'm related to them, so I should do that or not. I don't want what I deserve. I live with my kids when they were little. They used to say, well, that's not fair. You don't want fair. I don't want fair. Fair as hell. I want grace. I want mercy. I want love. And as I've experienced grace, love, mercy, and all those things, you know what else I want? Holiness, justice, truth. He alone is worthy to be praised. He alone is worthy of honor. And we're such vile sinners that it's impossible to think of ourselves in terms of what we deserve and what our rights are. Seeing God for who he is and what he did fixes my perspective on me and others. That's the first place we start. We've got to get a big view of God. How do we do that? Get in the Word, study the attributes of God. Okay? There's no greater study I don't believe a person could do than study the attributes of God. That's true theology. You know, and just see who He is and let that impact your life for a little bit. Then, number two, what's the second great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one's like it. Love who? Your neighbor as yourself. Well, Sounds a lot like the golden rule, doesn't it? What does that mean? It means when I've been wronged, I forgive. <laughs> Just as I've been forgiven. How can we, who have experienced the forgiveness of the cross, hold crudges and belittle, you know, hold back forgiveness from anybody, no matter what they've done to us? There's nothing anybody could do to me that is more egregious than what I did to Christ. And that's the mindset we got to go with. You say, well, pastor, you don't know. I was, I was raped as a child, and that's horrible, right? That's the worst thing you can probably think of. But you know what? That person, even, even as a child, we had sin, right? You know, so we weren't even pure in it, but he was pure in it and came and took on the whole world of sin, including that kind of stuff. You see, so we quit saying, you know, wow, all this horrible stuff in the world and I get why everybody's so upset. And we push that aside and we say, you know what? I have been forgiven more, more. And as a result of that, I need to forgive as I've been forgiven. I need to love as I have been loved, sometimes with discipline. I need to treat others better than I treat myself. Just like Christ did when he gave himself to harm's way for my benefit. That's the heart of God. That's the goal of the way we should live. That's the summation of the Sermon on the Mount. You you can't do this apart from him. You know that, right? (laughs) Ain't no way. But there's those who have been redeemed, who have been regenerated, who have been made new creatures. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God guided by the perfect word of God, we can, as a direction of our life, albeit without perfection, live increasingly in progressive sanctification in this way. True? 
And what happens now in the Sermon on the Mount is Christ begins, to, he's, begins here to close his sermon and he makes the point that the way to the kingdom is narrow and there are few that find it. And that may be the way you feel this morning, right? You're going, wow, you know, that kind of pathway is a narrow pathway. Yeah, it is. Few there are that find it. I'm not talking about your salvation here. I'm just talking about your walk, right? We understand that, I hope. In Christ, there is no meritous walk. There is only a responsive walk. He'll tell us to be wary of those who might lead us astray. He'll tell us to be careful not to be deceived by ourselves, by the, by the teaching that says it doesn't matter about the fruit of your life. He'll tell us that the firm foundation is not only hearing the truth, but doing it, and it's there that I'm going to leave you. The truth is that we're to live like this as believers. In everything, however you want to be treated, you treat others that way. And as Jesus closed out the Sermon on the Mount, echoing the truth of James chapter 1, verse 22, we want to be hearers of the word, which we've just done. And we want to be doers of the word, which is what he calls us to do as we leave here. Not for our glory, but for his until the shot, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word together. We thank you for your truth. Difficult, hard, ask so much of us, Father, but at the same time, you've given us so much. And Lord, you do not ask us, you would be unjust if you asked us to, to walk in a way that um, you would not empower us or direct us to walk. So Father, we just want to be found faithful. Lord, help us to stop living so selfishly and start looking out for the good of others and to treat others well. And Lord, even as we look at our situation these days, it seems like maybe the, the greatest light of a city on the hill would be this kind of action being lived out within view of a watching world. In a world where everybody is so angry and fighting against and name calling and ugliness in every direction, Lord, to see a body that is unified by you, your truth, and a common salvation through Christ might be the thing that you use to bring others to you. May we be found faithful till you call us home in Christ's name. Amen.